Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk. Welcome to Guitar Talk. I don't know if you can tell by the music, but today my guest on this special edition of Guitar Talk is Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry. And that's the intro to the song, again, that's on their new album that's releasing today called The Human Condition. I tell you what, it is a great album uh, all the way around, you know, from the guitar playing to the vocals to... Just every aspect of this album is just absolutely killer. Now, these guys are really busy, even though, you know, uh, the world's kind of come to a halt to some degree. These guys are really busy. Uh, They're doing a lot of interviews. They've been in the studio um, in that for a while now, and now the release is here. And so I got really fortunate to, to get a hold of Chris and have him sit down with me for a few minutes at the last minute right before his release so uh, i'm not going to jabber a whole bunch you're going to want to go out and go to blackstonecherry.com you're going to want to go to youtube on blackstone cherry and check out all these new tunes because man they're smoking hot they really really are so without further ado here's the one and only chris robertson of blackstone cherry this is jimmy hey man this is chris blackstone cherry how you doing i'm good chris how you doing buddy Doing all right, man. Sorry, I'm a few minutes late. Ah, you know, you know what? That's okay. Right on, man. <laughs> I know you're a busy guy. You guys got a release coming out on Friday, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, we got a release and a and a live stream. Yeah, wow. Well, it's going to be a great night for you. Yeah, dude. It's we're 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 super pumped about it. It's uh, you know, we uh. This record is, we've been waiting for it to come out for a long time, man. You know, it's its only been a couple months. You know, March is when we finish recording, but it feels like it's been an eternity the way this year is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm really happy for you guys. You know, if you don't mind, I'd like to really step back in time a little bit. And, yeah, and talk about you as a guitarist. And how you got, you know, influence. I know you, I know there's some special circumstances around your band and the Kentucky Headhunters and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm really interested to know, you know, what influenced you in the very, very beginning to, to even want to pick up the guitar. For me, man, it was my dad and grandpa. My yeah. dad's played guitar his whole life. My grandpa built acoustic instruments. Um, so they were the two that made me really, really want to go for it. Um and then, you know, after that, it was, we were in seventh grade and John Fred played a talent show and I walked up to him after the talent show. He played drums and I was like, man, I'm going to get a guitar and we're going to start a band. <laughs> and, uh, that's what happened, man. Yeah. You know, then obviously the headhunters, John Fred's dad, uh, been in the headhunters and uncle were a huge influence on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, 
And those three, those things are the pretty much the, the start of it all. Yeah. So did you take any kind of lessons in the beginning? Did you learn all by year? I mean, it's all trial and error. Man, my dad showed me how to make uh, a bar cord, and he showed me how to make major cords and handed me a stack of vinyl and said if I wanted to be any good at it, I would learn the majority of it on my own. Yeah. So I, I, I learned by ear, man. You know, I just kind of picked it up, went with it. There wasn't any YouTube or anything like that back then. Right, right. As time's gone on, though, have you uh, have you pursued any kind of lessons, or have you just, you know, use? No. Yeah. What, what I like to do, man, is – is when when I feel like I'm starting to get stuck, I'll I'll go to one of my favorite guitar players and learn something of theirs that I hadn't learned before. Yeah. Or I'll or I'll try to learn something new, you know, that I hear a new lick in or something. That way I can start incorporating that lick and see how that lick works, and figure out how to you know do my own thing with it. Um, yeah. So I, I've I've never been taught anything. I've stole a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> That's the way it works, isn't it? Oh yeah, Eric Clapton said one time, "We're all just stealing from everybody else." Yeah, know? that's it. I mean, I mean, how many times you know can you can't reinvent nothing that's already you know it's already been done? Bizarre. Well, let's be honest. You know, the guitar looks very intimidating, but there are twelve notes on the entire thing. Yep. There's several octaves, but there are only twelve notes on a guitar. There's only so many ways you can play it. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, so you just mentioned to go. You know, when you feel like you're getting stuck, you go to uh, the people that you know, or kind of influencing at the time. Who are those people? Man, there's it's, Hendrix is always the number one as yeah. far as like, you know, the, the, the famous dudes. Um, it's, it's always Hendrix first. I'm like, what Hendrix can I, you know, try to dissect and pick up a little bit on? Um, Freddie King's another one. Um, I like a lot of the seventies clap and stuff. I know, you know, I like a lot of the, the clap and solo stuff. Um, the 70s stuff was my favorite. Yeah. Um, and then, um, man, you know, like the guys in Skinner, you know, Rosenton Collins and Steve Gaines and Ed King, um, those dudes. But then here lately, man, you know, with the passing of Eddie, I've been listening to a lot of Van Halen. and You know, the appreciation for what he'd done has only grown since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was at the, I'm um, dating myself here. I was at the very first uh, Van Halen concert in Chicago in 1979. Oh, my God. I waited. What was that, what was that like, man? I, I got to tell you, I, I, first of all, back then, uh, you know, you want to talk about no internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I owed to wait in line at the Ticketmasters to get tickets. And then it was at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, which if you've ever played there or anything, you know that it's, you know, it's general admission. So I had yeah. to I had to wait in line outside for almost six hours, and when we got in, man, we was like equivalent to second row on the right side, oh, stage right, which was where Eddie was, and uh, oh, it was flat out amazing. You you know you wouldn't know you know this many years later that you were witnessing, you know something. You know, beyond witnessing a guy yeah. at twenty four years old rewrite guitar history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because at 79, he'd have been, what, 24? Yeah. He, so, yeah. At, you know, I mean, that dude, that's what blows my mind about Eddie, right, is him and Jimmy both, they were both in their early 20s, and they reshaped not just an instrument, but music forever yeah. in their early 20s with two hands, six strings, and a heart that wanted to be heard. You know what I mean? Like, it just, 
it blows my mind, man. You know, it's such an inspirational thing to to sit back and look at your heroes, man, and go, dude, those guys were freaking twenty in their early twenties. Yeah. You know, it's like like dude Slash. You know, admittedly, yeah. I'm not the biggest Guns and Roses fan. I love them, yeah. but I've never like, dude, I love everything they did, but I've never been as adamant with them as I was, you know, Skinner or Aerosmith or some of the other bands. Um. But dude, like you look at Slash, he, all that stuff he was doing, he was like what nineteen twenty when they yeah. did that first record. Like, get yeah. out of here, man. Yeah, and he's a great player. Oh, dude, he's 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 yeah. one of the best. To to combine, what I love about Slash is he combines all that that melody and the major melodies yeah. with all that blister and like it'll be bluesy. But the thing about Slash when he does blues is he'll throw in some of those like Middle Eastern notes with it, right? And it. It gets this. That's how you know it's Slash, though. Yeah. He'll throw those those oddball notes in a run, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's Slash." Yeah. You know, that's 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 just that's what he does. You know, he's the guy is. You know, there's a reason that it, he saved Gibson Les Pauls. Let's be honest. Yeah. In the '80s, had it not been for Slash, everybody would have played Charvels. You know, I mean, right. Eddie Eddie got everybody on the Super Strat kick in the late '70s. You know, this is before my time, man. I'm, I was born in 85, but <laughs> I love guitars. So I, I just, you know, I, I try to learn as much as I can, but yeah. man, you know, the whole world had gone to super strats and Floyd's and then you got Guns and Roses come out here and say, the hell with y'all, we're going to rock two Les Pauls and kick ass. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And, and that's what they did, you know, and, and God bless them for it. But, uh, you know, Slash is more of an influence on me than Guns and Roses. I, I can admittedly right. say that. Right. You know, his, his lead playing doesn't matter if it's Velvet Revolver, if he's playing with Paul Rogers or, or sitting there with anybody. He just, it's Slash, man. It's nothing yeah. more needs to be said. Yeah. I put out an EP last year. My It was my ninth one, and I had Johnny Grappart play bass on it. And Johnny oh, dude, was, that's awesome. Yeah, Johnny was the bass player for Slash during the Snake Pit days. Oh, dude, man, that, yeah. uh, uh I like the stuff Slash does with Miles, too, man, because Miles yeah. is a good friend of mine. And you want to talk about a good guitar player. A guy that goes unnoticed under the radar. Yeah. Miles, Miles Kennedy is one of the, man, like, what I like is when they extend stuff live and Miles will start playing because Miles is way more like a, a David Gilmore kind of player where it's the big singing notes and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but I love it, dude. I just absolutely love it. Another guy, man, that talk about guitar players, uh, that I don't think gets the credit he deserves is Ian Thornley. That guy is, oh, wow. yeah. I mean, dude, he can literally play like people look at a guy like Satriani and Satriani is amazing. Like we did the chicken foot tour and I stood on side stage every night with my jaw on the floor. You know, just going, how does a guy make a guitar do all of that? Yeah. You know what I mean? But dude, then I watch videos of Ian Thornley and I'm like, we all just might as well give up. Cause he just sits there. <laughs> Ian Thornley just sits there, man. And it doesn't matter if he puts a screwdriver under the nut. To make to be able to play slide better or what he's doing, he sounds like the world class version of whatever he's doing, no matter what he's doing. Yeah. So you know, and, some some people are they just they just have it. You know what I mean? It's like it, it's it's in the it's in their hands, you know, and it's in their it's in their heart and their soul, and it doesn't matter what guitar they're on or what amp they're playing through. Or oh, dude, and it's yeah. and, you know, it's like if you look at a guy like are you familiar with Tim Pierce at all? Yeah. You look at Tim Pierce, and you go look up his discography, and half the modern rock records you hear on the radio, he's played guitar on them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Not only does he play on the Selena Gomez record, but Tim's been playing on everybody's records in LA for the last forty years. Yeah. You know, because he's one of those guys. He's he's got the sound, he's got the hands, he he knows how to work. You know, with his instruments, and uh, he just he's got it dialed in, man. You know, there's it, it's so amazing the amount of guitar players in the world, man, that the world doesn't know about that are just incredible. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what, that's one of the reasons, you know, I hosted a radio show for a long time and, you know, you get the who's who of whatever style of music on it. But when we launched this podcast, that was the goal was to talk to guitar players. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a fanatic for guitars and, and all things for guitar. Sure. And so I've, I've tried to have, you know, those are the guys that. Well, fellas like me appreciate the hell out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love them kind of guys, but you know, you're a great player yourself. I appreciate that, man. You and, are. Uh, I've I've worked real hard at it, man. You know, we uh, with this new record we just put out. The uh, I think I worked harder on the the leads on this record, making sure that it said what each lead said what I wanted them to say than I've ever done on a record. Um, and it all stemmed from a damn YouTube comment. Damn it! <laughs> I was I went down a rabbit hole one night watching some live videos of our band, and the next thing I know. I see this comment. It was on a guitar, a, a guitar break I was doing, um, like an extended one. And a guy said, Chris Robertson is a top guitarist, but his solos always lose me. It's the something I, I can't remember how he put it. And I was like, all right, well, I got something to prove this time. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I don't know who you were, good sir, but thank you for, uh, for, for that little bit of inspiration because it, it made me really work my ass off this time, man. It made me, you know, go in to prove a point with my guitar and, uh, we, we had a lot of fun making this record. Yeah. So when you, when you're uh, doing your solos though, I mean, has it always been something you, you really think out or is it just, you make a few passes, you know, cause some guys do it either way. They really think sure. out their solos or they just take three or four passes at it and pick the best pass. So for me, I've always taken the Tony Iommi approach, which is playing until it sounds cool. Okay. Um, I read an interview one time where they asked him if he wrote out his solos or if he just played until he found something he liked and then started going from there. And he said he would just typically play, um, you know, and, and then go from there. And I was like, man, that's the greatest advice I've ever heard. Now, obviously, you know, sitting around, I'm, I'm a singer too. So, you know, I'll start humming stuff while I'm, listening to the track you know while somebody else is tracking their part or whatever um and get going that way but the the majority of the time man like i'll hear a little bit of it and then i'll just you know say all right let's take one and i'll play three or four solos and sometimes i'll nail one first try sometimes the third or fourth one will be like all right we're not touching um but then there's times where i'll play three or four solos and i'll be like I like the direction of this one. And then I'll just have to get outside of myself, man, and come back to it in a few minutes and, you know, to start all over. But it's, uh, it's a process. You know, it always starts with, with maybe a humming idea that I hear in my head or one little melody line or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I kind of will hear a start and then I just go from there. I'll, I'll try to figure out a way to start the solo where, you know, it feels good and it's going to catch attention and, and vice versa, but it's also, you know, going to speak to it, not just be a high note that jumps in at the top of the solo because that's the coolest way to jump in. Like, no, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. 
But I, I just really tried to make sure that the things I was playing this time suited well for the songs more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell when you start to mature as an artist, as a musician, you start to really pay more attention to the, the total song versus, oh. you know, as a guitar player, you pay, you know, a lot of attention to your guitar and, uh, right. Oh, dude, like, yeah. man, the, the older I get, the more I start dissecting parts. And I'm like, yeah, you know, two guitar players, it's cool to play the same riff at times, but more often than not, you know, me and Dan will play, you know, complementing parts to each other on choruses and verses and stuff like that. You know, on intros, we want to we slam and kick ass and have everything heavy together. But, you know, when it comes to the choruses and things of that nature, we try to, you know, go as wide as we can and the easiest way to do that is to play complementary parts, you know, because if you're doing recording, if you're doing the same part, it can start kind of sounding like it's in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes if you're when you get it really, really tight, uh, unless you have drastically different tone. But, you know, a lot of times on a chorus, you know, one of us will be chugging the chords and one will be playing like a variant of the chord or one of us will be playing a counteractive melody to the chord or something. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. So when you uh, when you bring that live, when you take your your album live, are you playing the parts pretty much the way they are, or do you take risk, you know, and just go crazy? Uh, the parts for the most part are what they are. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to like the jam sections of the songs, which are solos and stuff like that, sometimes we'll extend them. Um, I tried on this record, man to make sure that I played solos that I wanted to play again. Yeah. Um, you know, because to me, it's kind of like, you know, if you go see, if you went and seen Van Halen and Eddie didn't play the eruption solo, or let me take that back. If you went to see Van Halen and when it came time for ain't talking about love, Eddie played a blistering solo instead of the melody solo. Yeah. While you might like it, you would miss that solo. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's, but I, what I wanted to do with this, with the guitar on this record, man, with my solos was I wanted to play stuff that I would want to play again. You know, I didn't want it just to be a space filler. I wanted it to actually be, you know, the way I've started looking at guitar in recent years, especially lead guitar, is the lead guitar is what's happening when there's no vocal. Mm-hmm. So at that point, that lead guitar needs to be as interesting and as powerful as the vocal, depending on what the part calls for to carry the song. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was, it was about adding in more melody and, and a little stuff like that with this new record to make it, you know, those just soaring solos. It's kind of what I wanted to go for, you know? Yeah. 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 Cause I know that that's one of the things that's really interesting about different players is because, the approaches are, are kind of all over the map. I heard somebody talk about it one term, I mean, in the terms of, well, you got your recording performance, and then you have your live concert performance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, and that person was saying, well, your concert performance is just that. It's like whatever you do there, that's that's the experience that they get for that night. But I completely hear what you're saying because I would be disappointed you know, if, uh, you know, I went and I saw Ozzy and, you know, Crazy Train didn't sound like Crazy Train. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
you know, it's it's um, it's odd, man. You know, because as guitar players, we want to constantly push it further and try to do something cooler than we did last time. But the hardest thing is to not mess with stuff sometimes. Um, You know, because dude, for me, like we've got songs that you know, I I will never say that I've written a memorable solo because to me, that's that's for somebody else to decide. But like we have songs that were you know played quite a bit on the radio. And those songs, I try to play the solos as close as I can to the record. Obviously, I'm going to inflect them a little different, you know, uh, or play a note or two different here and there. But the core majority of the solos that were songs that were, you know, per se hits or got a little radio traction, I try to play those as close as possible. And then, you know, we have sections of the show where we'll extend out and jam and everybody takes a break and stuff. And you know, doing that though, man, it, it keeps all the other songs fresh too, because you get to keep experimenting every single night differently. Yeah. You know, that you, we, we know that when we get to this one part of the show or these one songs that we, that we have a tendency to take out to the outer loop bag, you know, we can, we can get out there and do that stuff then. Yeah. So, so as a player, you know, I, I understand that, you know, when, when you're on the road, you know, you're playing, you know, constantly, you know, every night or whatever. But uh, when you're not on the road, like over the last, you know, six or seven months, you know, a lot of some people have been in the studio and that. But uh, do you do you take a lot of time for yourself to, you know, to learn new things and to stay fresh? Or are you one of these guys that you just kind of put it down for a while? And then when you go back in the road and back in the studio, then you pick it back up. Uh, man, for guitar, I'm always, like, I've always got a guitar downstairs at home. Um, I probably play at least an hour a day, you know, just, just sitting around picking up a guitar for 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there between doing the honey-do list and helping my eight-year-old with homework since school's all virtual now. (laughs) Um, you know, but man, I, I I play guitar every day. I don't sing every day, which I probably should. Um, but man, you know, it's, even when your voice is hurting, you can sit down with your guitar and she'll speak nice to you yeah well that's something you got going for you man because uh you're killer on both you know you're killer on the guitar and your voice your voice man is you know it's it's great i mean (laughs) man i i sincerely appreciate that yeah i mean you got so have you done any uh uh any acoustic stuff like that you know virtual stuff you know since Uh, the pandemic not yet man we've uh we we did the the live stream show. We filmed it. That's coming out Friday, yeah. um, and then next week we're going in the studio to do some acoustic stuff for uh, for radio stations. Um, but it's really been uh, it's really been just kind of a, a relaxed, a lot of interviews, man. You yeah. know, um, that's about the extent of what we can do right now. Yeah. You know, where where we live in Kentucky, they've kind of gone back into the red <clears throat> uh, with some of the outbreaks of the virus and stuff, and kind of in a bad spot right now so it's you know it's kind of best to stay around you know yeah. stay to yourself for now but you know um it's uh it's crazy man you know hopefully this thing can all get straightened out and uh, we can get back or at least we can get a handle on it enough and the people in charge can get a handle on it enough that the world can get back to living a little bit again sometime yeah it's uh it's been it's been really crazy i know everybody that i talk to is uh is in the same boat, you know, pretty much, you know, it's sad. It's really sad. You know, I got a buddy that he plays in a couple of Broadway shows. He, he also, uh, 
that was a guitar player for John Legend and uh, Gloria Gaynor. And, oh wow! You know, so the dude, you know, the dude, dude had four, had two gigs and two Broadway shows, and you know, go from that to absolutely nothing. You know, <laughs> man, you know, we uh, we had a Bless full you. year of touring lined. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a full year of touring lined up, and we were going to finally. Sorry, <laughs> we were going to finally get to play um, my ultimate bucket list venue, man, this year, and. Lo and behold, we're pushed back to 2021 now. But oh, wow. we uh, we had the Royal Albert Hall booked. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, man. <laughs> but um, you know, it's uh, it is what it is. We'll get there next year, man. That's everybody's bucket list, isn't it? Dude, it. I mean, <laughs> trust me. I I've been very fortunate. I've been able to you know headline Wembley Arena three times and. <sighs> play a lot of amazing venues but there's just yeah. something about the albert hall man yeah you know for me i mean hendrix zeppelin everybody played there yeah everybody's <laughs> everybody's done that. that's a great so um uh, uh the new album you know why don't you tell me you know what's the inspiration behind you know the album i mean uh what's the motivating factor here <laughs> i think as much as anything man it's um you know, you're you're obviously influenced by the world around you. Yeah. And we started recording this record at the end of February through March, and obviously the world was, you know, being transformed into what we have now, and that was the beginning of it. And uh, I think the uncertainty of, you know, knowing what this virus was going to be and <laughs> how long it was going to affect everybody, ultimately had a uh, brought. A, a nervous energy to this record that I think uh, is detrimental to the album. You know, I, I think that there's a there, there's something about this album, man, that it's just really different than all the rest of the records we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we tracked it different, but it's it's more than that. And I I can't exactly put my finger on it. And I, I know that's asking a lot of everybody else if the guy that's singing the songs can't tell you why it's why it feels so different but it just does man um i don't know i, I don't want to say well i will say it, it almost feels like a rebirth kind of yeah um you know because dude when we when you've been doing something for 20 years and you know you've done it that way for so long and you've been put through the ringer and literally ran to hell and back you know, just to get a little piece of, uh, just to get a little bit of a taste of that, that glory on the other side. Um, you know, you start to change as people and, and stuff. And I think that's, what's been fun about us is we've never put out the same record twice. Um, at least in our opinions. And if you were to take family tree and the human condition and put them on back to back, the exception of me singing, a lot of people would say it was two different bands. But that's the beauty of, of our band. Um, you know, since we started, man, in 2001, it was nothing for us to, you know, once we got good enough that we could go out and open for bands and stuff, you know, because you got to put in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, once we got good enough, man, it was nothing for us to open for Anthrax on a Wednesday night and then a, get a call to come be, you know, the opening act on a Grand Funk Railroad gig on a Saturday. And you can't get more different than some kind of wonderful to, <laughs> you know, Cadillac Dropbox or some of that stuff. 
right. know, that they were doing because that was the We've Come For You All record that Aerosmith, or Aerosmith, shit, Anthrax had put out. Um, yeah. That had uh, Bush singing on it. Yeah. But you know what? That, that says an awful <sighs> lot about you as a band in the sense of what you just said about comparing the two albums. Because if you really look back, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but if you really look back at all the great bands, all of them, doesn't matter who it is, you, you see that progression in that change. Let's go back to, let's say, Van Halen, for instance. Van Halen 1 came out, and it just, oh, my God, it just kicked ass. It, but if you look at the progression of, like, the first four or five albums, there was, like, some huge, I mean, the guitar playing on Fair Warning was completely different in a lot of ways than what was on Van Halen 1. Well, dude, you look at, yeah. you look at Van Halen, you know, with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. And, or, I mean, a lot of that stuff had a lot of synthesizer and piano driving those songs. Yep. Yep. You know, right now is all piano. Yeah. You know, why can't this be love? That synthesizer is the biggest hook in that song. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, but that, that's, those are bands that they evolved over the years. Look yep. at Led Zeppelin is one of my favorite examples. You got Led Zeppelin one, Led Zeppelin two. And then I remember the, reading an interview one time jimmy page said the record label asked him what why wasn't there rock any rock songs on led zeppelin three and he asked him he said did you not hear immigrant songs or was it led zeppelin two led zeppelin three i think yeah it's, it's zeppelin three right yeah, immigrant it is yeah because the rest of that record is more is more so acoustic you know yeah yeah but but every band every it seems like almost every you know really popular band, rock band or whatever, has gone through that, that phase. I mean, ZZ Top did it. You listen to their first album, and then you listen to Eliminator. I mean, it's their world's apart. Oh, dude, even yeah. listen to ZZ Top's first album and then putting on, <laughs> you know, Trace Ombres yeah. or, or putting on Rio Grande Mud, you know? Yeah. Because Rio Grande Mud wasn't the first record. It was the second one. Right. Um, you know, but even from ZZ Top's first album to Rio Grande Mud, and then Rio Grande Mud to Fandango, right? Yeah. Like, they were constantly changing. Um, yeah. But that's why they stayed around. That's why they're still around, you know, 40 years later. Here we are in 2020, and we're still talking about ZZ Top. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, <sighs> I, I, but but my point is, is I think that that's, the, that's a sign of of a, of a really good maturing band. You know what I mean? It's like they're not a, they're not afraid to keep. I mean, Rush did it. I mean, you can't name a band that really didn't do it because they've all done it to some to some degree. They still have their roots. They're still who they are, but but they evolve as as a group. And you know, and the the band that has stayed the most similar throughout their career, I would have to say would probably be ACDC. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> the thing about ACDC though, man, is even Brian Johnson to Bon Scott, they're two totally different bands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, because the Bon Scott stuff was more like, you know, up tempo and, and in your face. And the Brian Johnson era stuff is more about the backbeat and getting the girls dancing. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's two totally different bands, really. Right. And I understand why people have that. And it's the same thing with Van Halen, man. You know, like, I understand. The, the difference in the two. Like, I, I get why people don't like both. I like both, but I, I get why people don't. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but that's you guys are just following that same natural evolution, you know, of of being a band. You know, you're still great players. You still write great music. You're still all extremely talented. You know what I mean? It's you know the fans aren't going to go away. But, uh, you know, at least you haven't, even the bands that went out and did something so different that people were like, like, I got to be honest, when ZZ Top put out, you know, Eliminator, when they came out with that, it was like, uh, I didn't buy, I didn't buy the album in that, you know, and I probably haven't, you know, maybe bought, but a couple ever since then, but I've always been a huge fan. I always listen to their music. You know what I mean? Regardless in that, whether or not I like the the phase that they went into, because I appreciate the the talent. I really appreciate the talent. And man, I, I sincerely appreciate your kind words. Yeah. I mean, you know, man, we've been a band now for, it'll be 20 years next June. Um, and, you know, dude, we, uh, it ain't been easy for us. You know, we're, we're a band that, we have been successful and we're, and I'm very fortunate, you know, that we're still here all these years after putting out our first record. Um, but dude, we've, you know, we've had to make it, you know, relying on playing live and spreading by word of mouth and doing interviews with guys like you and stuff like that. Cause radio never just took hold to us like they did some of our counterparts, you know, and yeah, you know, we'd be on the road with the band and the station just not playing our song. And it's, it, you know, that's life though, man. It's, it's, yeah. That's just the way the things work. But at the end of the day, man, it, it, it really means a lot for you to, to say the kind words about us as a band and, and musicians because that's what we've dedicated our lives to, man, is is being the best version of our band we can ever be when we step on stage. That way when people come for, you know, to escape all the reality bullshit that they have to deal with, when they walk in that room, they can they can kind of escape and be taken to a whole different place altogether. And, uh, you know, man, that's what it's about Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, my dogs are going crazy. That's all good, man. My little boy, <laughs> They're going crazy. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> ah, anyway, you know, I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, you know, to, to chat with me. And I wish the new... The I wish I wish the new release all the success in the world. I really do. Thank you. And uh, when you guys get to the Chicago area where I am, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit your publicist up and see if I can't maybe come interview guys uh, live. Yeah, man. The the place we play close to Chicago a lot of times is in Wisconsin. Um, just because, like, we've never got played on radio in Chicago, but uh, the station uh, JJO plays us a lot out of Madison. Yeah. Um, and there's a venue up there called the Route 20 Outhouse that we play quite often. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. Well, man, thanks so much, and uh, I sincerely appreciate the time, man. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Good luck with the release, Chris. Thank you, sir. All right, take care, buddy. All right, so there you go. There's uh, Chris Robertson from Blackstone Cherry talking about their new release that is out today, October 30th, 2020, called The Human Condition. Man, it is really, really good. And I wish I could play a bunch of tunes from it, you know, on the show, but because of licensing uh, agreements and stuff, I'm, I'm not able to. But 
you, know, you can definitely go to YouTube or Spotify or Apple or go to their website and, you know, and check it out, you know, because uh, you're not going to be disappointed. They're a hard rocking band. They're just they're just good guys and good musicians. So I want to thank Chris Robertson uh, from Blackstone Cherry for coming on the show. Uh, make sure you visit him at BlackstoneCherry.com. Uh, this was a special edition of Guitar Talk. Join me next Wednesday at the regular time, 3 p.m. Central, uh, when I release a new interview with an amazing guitar player, Joel Hookstra from White Snake and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Now, I know a lot of guitar players know who Joel is because this guy's been around the block. He's played with everybody from Ozzy and Night Ranger and Cher and... You know, the list goes a foreigner. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And so uh, I got the opportunity to, you know, have a conversation with Joel uh, during this downtime and that, even though he's got some projects going on. And so he, he's a great guy to talk to about guitar and to talk about, you know, being a better player and, you know, uh, gear and things of that nature. So you want to tune in next Wednesday where my guest is going to be Joel Hookstra. Uh, the lead guitarist for White Snake and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this special edition. You know, if you like what you're hearing, please go to our website at jimmywarrenofficial.com or guitartalkofficial.com. Uh, become a monthly supporter uh, or just support the, the cause, you know, with any amount. Whatever you do helps us to keep this thing, you know, going and on the air. We really appreciate the support. Make sure you're following me, Jimmy Warren, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. There's all kinds of stuff that I release through the course of the weeks. And that, you know, uh, snippets of, of music and live stuff. And you get, you know, uh, to know what's going on ahead of time. And, you know, all kinds of different things that I do. So you're going to really enjoy it. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot. This is Jimmy Warren with Guitar Talk. We will see you next Wednesday with Joel Hookster of Whitesnake. Thanks.